If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another listener story episode of the podcast. Today I interview Alexa, who I actually met through Jack Gold. And if you are familiar with this podcast, you've probably listened to her episode. So you'll hear us talk about Jack and your inner babe in this episode. But Alexa so bravely came on and shared her story of the breakup. And it's a really interesting episode. And I know it's going to resonate with a lot of you because we talk about addiction. And Alexa shares her experience of what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who is struggling with addiction and the many ups and downs that the relationship had, all the on and off that happened and I get a lot of questions about what do I do if the breakup just had to happen because my ex was depressed or had another mental health issue or was struggling with addiction and I think it's just great to be able to hear a story firsthand of dealing with that and we also get to the point in the story where after they broke up her ex passed away and how she not only had to deal with the breakup, but also the grief of having to go through that death. So I am so honored Alexa came on to share how she so beautifully has worked through the healing process and all of the tools and processes and perspective shifts that she's been able to experience. So Uh, do want to make sure to let you guys know that we do talk about addiction in this episode. And if that is something that is tough for you, um, feel free to skip this episode. But here is the wonderful and amazing Alexa. Welcome, Alexa, to the show. So excited to have you on today and hear a little bit about your story and your experience in your breakup. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know part of your story, but I would love if you could just tell us just a little bit about you. Yes. So I am Alexa, as Kendra said, and I am based in Chicago. Um, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, went away for college, came back, and I've been in Chicago now for 
eight years. Um, had to do a little bit of math there. I am a spiritual healer and coach. I actually work for Your Inner Babe. Um, if you guys remember Jack, who was on the podcast before. And I've been with Your Inner Babe since the beginning of 2020. I left the corporate world. COVID hit and I knew I was planning on leaving, but it really sped things up. The universe kind of laid some things out for me and I was just ready to kind of take the leap. And yeah, I definitely was meant to shift gears and I'm really excited to be doing what I do now. So that's a little bit more about me. That's amazing. Yes. And my listeners are all very big fans of Jack and your inner babe. And Alexa was a big part in putting together our Valentine's Day event that we did. So um, I'm so excited to be able to chat with you. And, you know, we're talking about a specific breakup in this episode. So could you give us a little bit of background on the relationship prior to the breakup? Sure. Um, so our relationship was not conventional, I would say. Um, it was really, we were in each other's lives for 10 years um, that we met when we were 14. So it was really on and off as friends, sometimes together, sometimes completely not speaking. Um, and when I met him when I was 14, our freshman year of high school, I would say, honestly, I probably fell in love with him that minute. Like he was just so charismatic, everything about him. And Throughout high school and some of college, which was when our relationship really um, kind of was a bit of a roller coaster, honestly. Um, he struggled with addiction. So that's where I really think a lot of our relationship wasn't able to be a typical stable relationship for what it could be throughout high school, college, or post college. Um, so when we were together, which honestly was probably less than when we weren't. A lot of our relationship was founded in us being best friends. And there was a lot of blurry lines, I would say, in our friendship, which would then lean into some togetherness. And then when I was in college was when we really came back together after a long period of not speaking. Um, and when we were together, then when I was finishing college, my junior and senior year, we were together in, I would guess I would say an interesting way based on his circumstances. I was away at college at KU, University of Kansas, and he was back in Chicago. And, you know, it was almost like I had been waiting so long for him to finally be my boyfriend. And so I finally had that per se. Um, but it's almost like as quickly as I had it, it was kind of like it was gone. So that's kind of the short of our relationship, I would say. The long story short. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that on and off kind of a thing. Did that cause you anxiety with that like back and forth hot and cold kind of situation? Absolutely. I think I never knew if we were just friends, if he was talking to me like a friend, if he was talking to me like we were more, if the periods of silence were him with other girls, which a lot of the time it was, other times it was because he was struggling. Um, I think it was really difficult for me to understand where I stood. And while I knew that he loved me first and foremost as a friend, and then later on more, I also questioned that a lot because there was never that really 
I guess I would say stable foundation of our relationship. Even though, you know, a lot of relationships start as friends, there wasn't a stable foundation for the romantic side of our relationship. And when you guys were apart, did you ever feel like you were actually apart? Like, did you ever feel like you had the permission to see other people? Yes, because I either saw him doing it with others or I kind of was like, whatever, I'm going to do what I want. Um, And because things were so undefined with us all the time, we always said like, no one else understands it and it's fine. Like we are what we are and that's okay. And, and, you know, in high school, it's like looking back now, like we're so young. And while like a lot of the times that's where, you know, our first love happens and that's what he was for me, for sure. Um, in college was an extended period of time where we weren't talking because he was um, actually in jail, which is a really interesting dynamic for someone when, you know, we both grew up in middle upper class suburbs of Chicago, you know, um, and I just kind of cut off communication with him when I went to college and I never spoke to him. And during that time I did my own thing. And once those two years were up, that's when we reconnected. And that's when it was kind of like everything started all over again. It was almost like those years never happened. Right. Um, so while I did my own thing and I was with other people or I dated, whatever it was, he was always in the back of my mind. I'm curious before, like, the final breakup, did you feel like you had to go through a series of smaller breakups or was it more like fluid? To me, like I've said this so many times that I always said, like he always comes back. So like, I just always waited for him to come back all the time. And no matter what way it was, whether it was, we didn't talk for two weeks, we didn't talk for three months or that time period where I guess essentially I didn't talk to him for two years because I would have had to write him for him to have some sort of communication with me. And one of the first things he said to me after that time period was, why didn't you write me? Why didn't you reach out to me? I didn't know how to get a hold of you. And I think like that was the first time I kind of took some power or control back um, because he always had the upper hand, but it was definitely fluid. I was always like, nope, he'll come back. He'll come back. And I think I then saw so little worth in I guess myself, right? And what I could bring to the, to a relationship and what a relationship could really look like, honestly. I think especially with like a first love, um, you just don't have context. You know, my first serious relationship ended up being with, you know, someone that was like toxic and abusive, but I literally, I had nothing to compare it to. And I think that's why we go through multiple relationships before we get married or something because it's like how do you know what you don't know because I don't think movies do like a great job of telling us what a relationship looks like in reality so I think that explains a lot of it and um I'm curious what was it like when you said like he was officially your boyfriend because I know I've had experiences like that where there was so much wanting and waiting and like tension and what is this going to feel like and like fantasizing around it and then it happens and did it match your expectations did it feel worth the wait what was that like it's really funny because it's like I think back and I'm like instantly brought back to those moments right and um I mean it was like so much of 
our communication and the way we were prior to that too was almost like a lot of things didn't have to be said. And when things started to shift then, I felt it, but I was like, is it just me again, right? Like, is this really happening? And then I can like so vividly remember like the one time I picked him up when I was home because I was in college. So I'd come home for breaks and I came home for a break and like he jumped in my car and he kissed me and something about the way he kissed me was different because like that's where things were confusing. He'd kiss me hello on the lips and it was upward oh, as friends though. Like it was not normal. And so that time though, like when things started to shift, there were things that were to my expectation. But at the same time, you know, I always pictured like, okay, like when we're finally together, he's going to change. He's going to get sober. He talks about getting sober. He's going to get sober with me. I will be able to make this happen. And for the basically two years then of my junior and senior year of college where, you know, it ebbed and flowed. And there were time periods too during that time where we were essentially together. And then, you know, I thought I liked someone at school and he'd be like, go for it. And I was like, wait, what? You know? So it was really interesting how it was everything I wanted, yet I'd still then be waiting for the phone calls that how it always was before, right? And I would be worried about him because he was a serious drug addict. You know, he didn't just smoke weed. Like he did hard drugs and he'd been struggling at that point since we were 14. And, you know, now we're 20, 21 years old. Um, so it lived up to some of my expectations for sure. But then reality would kind of come back in and it was like, wait, you're dating someone who is struggling with addiction and you almost can't tell a lot of people because they'd be like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. You know, I didn't tell, oh, sorry. I, no, you, yeah, I didn't ahead. tell a lot of people in my life. You know, I didn't tell a lot of people in my life. I told my best friends I was at school with um, some of my friends from home, but I almost kept a lot of it a secret because it was like, is this actually a reality? Yeah. So I definitely want to touch on the addiction because I come from the world of addiction and, you know, I know that was something you and I connected on. Um, so I assume that the addiction led to the breakup in a way. Yes. So the last six months that we were together and like very much so together, he was again in jail, which again, like, how was that even a reality? Like I joked with one of my friends who knew that I was like, it's like, I'm living this like fake fantasy world where I think I'm dating him <laughs> and he's in jail for six months. And I kind of was like, well, he gets out three weeks after I graduate. So it's almost like, we'll figure it out then, you know, like I'll deal with it then. People don't need to know, like, it's fine. And he got arrested that time when he went away. It was for the first time that it was actually related to possession of a drug. And, you know, while he's there, he's talking about how he had always promised himself he would never go back to jail because it was his second time there then. And that this was the time he was actually going to get sober. And like the conversations we had and the love letters we wrote, you know, it was like I said, this fantasy world. And essentially when he got out was when we broke up. So I came home thinking like, everything's going to be amazing. I graduated college, I'm coming back home. We are ending on his terms with basically no explanation other than I'm not changing my life. And I'm basically going 
back with someone else in my previous life. And I, I wasn't aware, of course, that communication was happening with me and someone else during those months. Um, you know, and I think the addiction always was the biggest issue in our relationship because I understood why he struggled. I understood where it came from. I knew these, it wasn't a choice. You know, I know that and it never was. Um, but when it came down to it, when things were supposed to kind of like be great when he was coming home, it shifted to him basically choosing almost, I would say, an easier path for him to continue to live that life that I wouldn't have been able to, that I w chose not to enable, I guess I would say. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on so many things. I think the shame is huge um, because even though I think we've come a long way in being able to talk about how prevalent addiction is, um, there still is a lot of shame around it for the person that's experiencing it and for family members, particularly, I think, like romantic partners, because like you were aware it didn't make sense, but that didn't matter. It's like that was just what you were experiencing. And I loved that you said like you knew it wasn't a choice. And I think what happens you know, speaking from my experience when I was in active addiction, you know, I was in college at the time, I would choose like class times, friends, like I, my whole life revolved around protecting the substance that I was addicted to. Um, and if someone were to get in the way of that, meaning like I had friends that confronted me um, about my drinking and I would end up pushing those people away because they were getting in between me and the substance. And so, um, you know, after I got sober, I've had quite a few family members and, you know, friends go through active addiction and you just have to keep reminding yourself that it's like, it's not the person, it's the disease you know, being in that relationship, did you find it hard to separate? This is not him. This is addiction. Yeah, there were definitely times where it was like, you've said this to me a million times. I don't want to keep doing this. Like, I'm going to like, especially at that end point where he was like, I'm going to change, you know, like, I'm going to give it a shot. Like, I'm going to try to live a normal, you know, and he even put it in quotes, a normal life like whatever that can look like for me. And then when it came down to it and he didn't or couldn't, I was like, I don't get it. Like, why can't you? And there was so much, you know, pain and so many things that he had been through in his life that led to the place he was in that, like I said, and like you said, it wasn't a choice, but I can see that now, you know, like it's been years and I'm so much more farther removed from the situation. In the moment, it was just, I was completely stuck in a like, why can't you choose me? Why am I not worthy of you choosing me to get sober for? Like, why is this relationship not worth it? And what can someone else give you that I can't? And I mean, when it came down to it, like he always knew and he, in a way he respected that I refused to enable him other than being with him in sober situations, which was why our relationship was the way it was. You know, like I refused to be around him if he was visibly high. 
and we don't need to go into details because it's besides the point, but you know, he always said like, this isn't the life you should be living. And while I appreciated that, I was like, but I want to be with you. So I don't care. You know, like at the time when I was with him and like, so in love with him, I was like, no, this is what I want. Let me make that choice for myself. So it was very hard to differentiate the two and separate it really, especially when things were changing. It's incredibly difficult, especially I think for certain types of people who, um, you know, like, I mean, if you're any kind of like people pleaser, if you are like a fixer, if you're an empath, it's very, very hard to separate that and to not understand. I went through this, oh my gosh, so bad when I got sober, especially because I was like, I have the answer. I know how to get sober. Like, why can't everyone, you know? And so, um, and I think too, like the thing with addicts is they choose isolation. Um, and I think, you know, as we're talking about this, this applies to, I get a lot of questions with like people suffering with like depression or like any kind of mental health disease. Cause addiction is a mental health disease. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so hard when you're like, I'm here. I love you. Like, I want to be here with you. I don't understand how you can't see that. I don't understand, you know, why you would choose this life of like pain and loneliness and destruction when you have someone that like loves you so much. And there's a reason that there are like entire 12 step recovery programs for family members of people struggling with addiction, because it's, very difficult. So I think, you know, everything you went through was so normal and expected at that time. Right. And I was kind of smirking when you said the people pleaser, the fixer. Yeah. I'm such a fixer. Even after I was with him and then years later when I was really ready to date and had, you know, done all sorts of therapy, healing all the things. I was still going after the same types of guys in a different way, like in a way that they definitely needed some sort of saving and fixing. And I didn't realize it until continually it wasn't working, you know, like there was something happening and then it would, the same pattern would repeat itself. And I was like, I'm still trying to fix them. And that pattern of trying to fix people, you can't choose to fix someone. They have to choose. No one can change except for that themselves like no one can choose to change you have to choose to change and that was the biggest thing I don't think I ever understood that when I was with him I never understood that he needed to choose things for himself and be ready to change or get sober or anything with his life like anything I forced on him or any reasoning I tried to have with him it was never going to shift it unless he was ready. And I think that's a very, very important statement because it applies to not just addiction, mental health, but it it also, you know, I've been talking a lot about like people that are emotionally unavailable. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you can't like, I try to tell people like, I'm like, I don't care if you're like the most good looking person in the entire world with the best personality and the most success and the most money. And like, if someone doesn't want to change, you can't make them. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I look back at my situation. I was going to a good school. I had parents that were, like, dying for me to get sober. Like, you know, they would throw money at therapy. It's like... I had all the opportunity to get sober. I had all the love to get sober. And it wasn't until I woke up one day and was like, I don't like the way that I'm choosing to live my life anymore. And it was something that had to be motivated internally. So I think that's a huge realization. And I would bet that that probably has also helped you. I mean, in, you know, future relationships as well as like work and friendships and like all of those things. Just having that realization is so important. Absolutely. And it was similar with him too. You know, he had a very supportive family who supported him with whatever he would want to try to get sober and with love and financially. And, you know, with the choices that he made in his life, like I said, being an addict and struggling and everything that he was carrying, it was too heavy for him to carry, which was why it was, I think, just really difficult for him to be ready to change, which ultimately led to him unfortunately dying a year and a half after everything ended between us. And, you know, it's interesting because 
if someone were to ask me like when I got quote unquote over him, I held on and waited for him to come back that entire 18 months that we basically weren't talking that I knew his life was continuing to go like very far downhill. And I was very far removed because there was no contact, which is something that you talk about a lot. And it's funny because, you know, I didn't know much about the whole like no contact thing then. Um, And I look back now and I'm very grateful that I chose to, once I finally decided I needed to cut things off and unfriend him and do things, you know, on social media and delete his phone number. Not that he was reaching out to me because he wasn't, but I needed to let it go. I was so much farther removed from the situation that when he then died, that's when I finally was essentially forced to then release and move on from our relationship. And there were steps I took before he died after our breakup when I was like, okay, like this is really the end. I am letting it go, whether he comes back or not. And there was one time where we physically ran into each other a couple months after it was over and he tried to talk to me and it took everything in me to be like, I have nothing to say to you. I don't want to talk to you. And he kept walking after me and I was like, nope, like, no. And I couldn't believe I did that because it was so not me, right? Like in the past, it would have been like, okay, let's talk. Like we can go to my car right now. Like I had just gotten home from work, like commuting back to the suburbs because I was working in the city and living at my parents post-college, you know, like I just graduated four months prior and you know, he's calling after me and I'm like, no, like, leave me alone. Like, I have nothing to say. And it's so hard to do that in the moment, but my gut knew, like, I couldn't be pulled back in. And when he died, I remember thinking, like, did I do the wrong thing that day? Like, was there more that I needed to say? Was there more that he needed to say? And other than like, you know, some sort of Facebook messages that we had had prior to that, where he like sort of apologized about the way things ended. We hadn't spoken. And I realized like, no, I didn't do the wrong thing that day. Because if I hadn't done that, I might be the girlfriend today. And that's, it would have, it was already painful enough. And I knew that I was in the right place. Um, But yeah, it was so difficult to completely let it go after it was over on his terms with basically no consultation with me I guess you know like it was his choice he was like no no contact like it's done you know when you are given no choice to continue or even try to like understand really too like there wasn't much um reasoning given to me you know it was a lot of like why I don't get it and I was just like I have to let it go at some point and so that's what I had to do I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I can't imagine that it's easy to, to talk about. Um, And you kind of answered my question, but I was going to ask, like, do you feel like you went through two separate and obviously very different breakups, like when the relationship ended and then when his life ended? Um, I mean, the fact that you had that strength to not reach out and, you know, when you saw him, like, you know, and I agree, you know, 
I agree. It was like, that was completely the right decision. And your gut knew it was the right decision, like listening to your gut in that way. What were the feelings that you were struggling with, you know, during that 18 months? Because it sounded like you did a pretty good job accepting what you could, but then also having it in the back of your head that he would come back. I think because I was used to him kind of disappearing at times, I was partially in denial that it was really over. I was like, I'll give it a few weeks. He'll call me, I'll pick him up and we'll talk about what happened and it'll be like, okay, it's fine now. Um, And, you know, I called him a couple of times, but I also, it was interesting. It wasn't like when I talked to some of my friends and like past breakups they've had or relationships or flings you have with someone and like you call them a million times until they finally answer was never like that with him if I called him a couple times I'd be like I'm not calling again because I was almost like embarrassed too so like I called him a couple times over like the course of probably like the first few weeks and then was like he would call me if he was going to talk to me like okay and the only at a certain point the main thing I was honestly concerned about then was almost like, is he alive? Like, where is he? And then like, you know, based on some social media, obviously he didn't live a typical life, especially the way like I did on social media. Social media was different then in 2013 than it is now. Like it's been so long since we broke up and then he died in 2015. But in those 18 months, it was summer too. So I just really like, completely distracted myself to be like okay like you have to let it go you need to find a way to just like not think about it since in my mind all of my like hopes and dreams were completely crushed and then it was really interesting too because a lot of my friends didn't know the extent of it so when I also was for that the first year I was living at home with my parents post-college, like I mentioned. So it wasn't like I was like living in the city, going on a bunch of dates. Like, I think I went on a couple dates at some point, but when I moved downtown, I think that's when I was kind of like, okay, like this is going to be fun. Like I can do whatever I want. Like I went, I did dating, like just to kind of put myself out there. Um, Like, you know, any 23 year old would do or try to do. And the interesting thing was what you said, like it definitely felt like it was two, two breakups because when I went to therapy, finally, a couple months after he died for the first time really in my life, I had to really like grieve our relationship and his death at the same time. And it was two very different things. And I also had to process and move through things that I wasn't happy about because our relationship wasn't perfect either because no relationship is and I'll never forget one of my really good friends said to me you know I texted him he and I had had I think we had gone out for drinks the night before actually now I need to ask him and we had talked about him and I had said like our status that we hadn't talked in so long So I texted him that day when he had died and he said something to the effect of like, remember that it's real, but don't, or like something, I'm going to butcher it now. 
Um, but he basically wanted me to remember like all of the good and everything that was real, but not to forget everything that I had learned essentially too. And he was validating it because he knew everything that we'd been through in those nine years, 10 years, but he knew that a lot of people didn't too. And that was where I really struggled at first was like, no one knows that we were even together my senior year. So how am I even supposed to act like I'm some ex-girlfriend? Like, I don't have a right to feel this way. And then that's when I realized, like, it took time to ever vocalize what I was feeling. But then I started to vocally share how I was feeling or publicly, you know, write things or post things because it's therapeutic and cathartic to do so. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask. It sounded like those 18 months were like distraction. And then like Mm -hmm. after he passed, it was the healing. And, you know, I feel like I picked a lot of this up from Jack, but I would imagine there was a lot of like, and feelings because it's like, you're so sad that you just lost this person, but you're also struggling with like that they really hurt you, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, I was actually just talking about with this with my therapist. Like I had something happen to someone that I knew, but I was also really struggling with some resentments that I had towards them. And my therapist reminded me like, you both can coexist, you know? So I would assume that was a lot of like, and coexisting emotions going on for you. Yes. And I definitely didn't know the power of and until I met Jack to the extent that I started to really incorporate it in my life, which was, you know, a couple of years later too. Um, and one of the first things my therapist said to me after, you know, probably like a month or two was, I want you to write him a letter and I, this can take as long as you need it to take. And I, of course, put it off. And then I finally wrote it and it took me forever to write. And I kept coming back to it and it would be angry and then it would be really sad. And then it would be angry again. And it was like, I just needed to get so much out that I was never able to say, I was always afraid to say, and things that I was allowed to feel, but I felt like I couldn't feel before. I mean, I think letters are such a valuable tool, whether it's, you know, to someone who's living or not or in your life Mm -hmm. or not. Um, And I think a lot of people believe that in order to have healing and get closure and get the satisfaction that those things have to be delivered in, you know, in person. And I tell people all the time to write letters but not to send them. And and a lot of times people don't understand why I say to not send them. Um, And I think this is a perfect testament to like, you got a lot of healing out of the fact that you were just able to get that out of your body and out of your heart and out of your head. Yes, absolutely. It's such a release in itself. Um, I mean, the power of just being able to put pen to paper is so powerful, but then I mean, I love letter writing now. And it's something that we do, of course, at your inner babe too. But it's something that actually I was just told to do in a group program that I'm participating in because we always need to keep doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to do additional healing, right? And other things. And that's something that I 
tend to resist is letters, I think, because I know how much can come out of them. And then once I start, it's like I can, almost can't stop. And I think that that's why they are so powerful, because we can just, there's so much that can be released. So much of the healing that you've done is so beautiful because now you get to help other people. But what were some of the other tools or therapies that you leaned on when you did kind of like decide to fully dive into your healing process? Honestly, I feel like I've tried almost everything. (laughs) And I love that because I love trying different healing modalities. I'm definitely that type of person. The first thing I did was therapy. And it was because one of my best, best friends said like, you need to go to therapy. Like you need it. And I was like, okay, you're right. And then after doing therapy, I started to realize like I was interested in other things too. And so that's when I started to explore things, you know, that were not just traditional American culture practices. Um, It took me a while to get into, not a while, but I'd say the last like three, four years is really where I explored coaching with Jack. I was a client and then I turned employee, which was kind of where my path like started to really shift. Before that though, I was dabbling with acupuncture to help with me mentally, emotionally, physically, like, you know, to kind of tie things in together. Because for me, I didn't realize until probably a year or two later that because I was struggling mentally and emotionally, it was really impacting me physically. And so once I started to make that realization, I realized there were a lot of things I needed to tap into. Um, So between movement, I invested in a personal trainer for a couple of years. And then I, like I said, the acupuncture I did regularly for a while to help with various things because I struggled with insomnia for a while. And then I had chronic migraines, which I don't really have anymore. You know, it really shows you how things can shift when you allow yourself to heal. And, you know, I went on to the Hoffman retreat, which was incredible two years ago this fall. So in 2019, um, and in 2019 was when I discovered energy healing and Reiki too. And that's where once I kind of discovered all of these things, I like, a full picture sort of was like painted for me. And that's when I realized like, I love everything. Like I love yoga. I love coaching. I love therapy. Like I love being able to do a little bit of all of it. Of course, I don't do every single one every day or, you know, I don't have therapy necessarily every week. Like I've taken time off of things, but allowing myself to try different modalities until I found the ones that really showed me that I was shifting and I felt the shifts internally it allowed me to to really like step into who I was you know as I mentioned I was in a corporate world and I was miserable my last few years but I was terrified to leave and as I started to dabble in all of these healing modalities I finally was like I'm not scared anymore like I'm doing this and then the world shifted and COVID kind of was like here you go you are furloughed. So now you have all the time in the world to actually work for your inner babe. And I was planning on quitting anyway in 2020. And then everything just kind of happened. So like I said, I really kind of tapped into a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I'd say if I, if I were to like tell you some of my favorite tools though, 
I think for me, like I mentioned, sometimes it's hard for me. I think I mentioned this, but it's hard for me to like get started. Like I will procrastinate on the letters when I was told to do some today. So I like things that like I can do on my own and that I'm guided to do. Like I love healing modalities that I'm doing like with a session with someone, whether it's energy healing or guided hypnosis, you know, like anything. I love all of it. I'm very spiritual. I'm a spiritual healer. So I love it all. Like I will try anything, but I also love something where it's like, I can just sit and do a guided meditation for 10 minutes myself. Like being able to pick anything from the toolbox, I think is really helpful because I'm the type of person who struggles with a quote unquote, like, um, morning routine that has to be the same. Like I like the flexibility of being able to pick and choose what feels best for me because otherwise I feel like I'm being told I have to do something even though I'm the one telling myself I have to do it. You touched on so many good things. I'm like really hanging on to what you said about allowing yourself to heal because that's what it is. I think everyone has the ability to heal, but there does need to be some permission given, like self-permission given. Um, even if it's the tiniest little ounce of willingness, there's got to be some amount there. Um, I also think it's really beautiful that sometimes all it takes is booking a therapy appointment and then that turns into you know, energy healing and retreats and like all this stuff. And it's like, there are so many pathways to heal. Like there's no one way to heal. Um, there are so many pathways and it's really just a matter of like finding what works for you. Um, and just because like something works for me doesn't necessarily mean it will work for you, but you do have to start somewhere. Um, and I loved that you like threw yourself in to, I'm the same way. Like I literally try anything once, <laughs> you know, people yeah. will be like, you got to go to this healer. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I have no idea what they do, but like, I'll literally try anything once. Um, and I think that's like a good attitude because it's having faith in the process, like having faith that this will heal. And, you know, to kind of wrap up the interview, um, what were some signs of progress that you felt or experienced? I think one of the first ones, honestly, was that I wasn't grasping for so many things that I needed to do, right? Like at first it was like, I will try anything to feel better. Like I need to do all of these things. And then it almost got to a point where I just felt, one, some of them were maintenance, just felt good. Like I felt so much more at peace and like at home within myself that I enjoyed doing them. But I also then, I think a big step too was knowing that I was finally ready, not just to date because I've dated on and off, but I haven't been in any long-term or serious relationship since. But I think the biggest sign was that I loved myself. So I was ready to allow someone else to love me. Right. So then I was ready to date. Like it wasn't just about going out there and going on a million dates. It was about healing and allowing myself to heal and find the love within myself first, because I didn't have a lot of that prior. 
I didn't know I struggled with that. You know, I was young and a lot of those things we didn't talk about when we were 16 or 18. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The conversations around self-love and all of those things have um, come a very long way. Yes. And I think for you, there had to have been like a lot of learning to trust yourself. um, And I'd be curious, like what you said, like, how'd you get to that knowing that you knew? Cause I think any outside person could tell you that nothing that happened was your fault. Like none of the, and, but how did you get to that inner knowing that you did the right thing? Um, and it was sad that happened, but you, it was, you know, had nothing to do with you. I think at first it was just a lot of having to hear that from other people to validate that for me and for so long, I didn't trust myself or I like questioned whether I was, I had made the right decisions or, you know, had I made decisions like too emotionally. And I think when I finally got to a place of like, I could make a decision, I would pause, make the decision and like know in my gut and feel that the decision felt right. Like trusting my intuition and my gut. Like once I learned how to do that, that's when I knew I fully really can trust myself and that I did trust myself. That's beautiful. Cause I think at our innermost core, we can all trust ourselves, it, but it's like the, the conditioning, the messaging, um, it's all the other things that blur that inner knowing. Um, so being able to like clear those things out and realizing, I remember the first time someone told me that like, Kendra, you know, like you can trust yourself, like you make good decisions. And this was, you know, after some years of sobriety when I actually was making good decisions, but I think there's something really powerful in being able to get to that place. Yeah, I agree. I think once we realize that like, we really do have everything we need within us, we can feel so much more at peace with really everything that we do. So as my final question, let's say there's someone listening who either, you know, just is dealing with a breakup because the person, you know, can't get sober, can't change, or um, is dealing with the loss of someone. Like, what would you tell them? Like, basically, what would you tell yourself years ago if you could? There are two things, I think. One of the biggest things I realized that was said to me about a year ago was that your pain led you to your purpose. And it was something that if someone had said to me right after he died, like this happened for you, not to you, I would have literally been like, you like get away from me. Right. I'm going to hit you in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when something happens, I mean, not just death, but hard breakups and relationships. Like it feels like a death. So being able to look back now and seeing the way that I was able to grow and heal and allow myself to transform that pain into who I've become today. When she said that to me, and it was Jack, obviously, (laughs) but when she said that to me, I was really like, you're so right. Like it led me to my purpose and like it has completely formulated my path in life. But I think the biggest thing too was I truly realized that you don't need 
to fix anyone to feel worthy or to be worthy of their love. And that's what I think I thought for so long. I thought that I needed to bring value by fixing him so he could love me back. And that is so not true. Like we are completely worthy of someone else's love just as we are. Yes. Like that needs to be, that point needs to be like nailed home so hard. And it's so hard to believe when we're in the thick of it. Like I would have never believed someone if they said that. I would have never understood it, honestly. But like allowing yourself to repeat that affirmation and believe that affirmation so that like you can truly embody it, it takes time. But that is a really big lesson I really learned. I have my YAB journal right here, but that's an affirmation that I write a lot. Like I am enough just for sitting on the couch, like for, you know, waking up and breathing. And I know, I think that's always like a, a shock to people when I tell them like, why do I always, you know, go for people that I need to fix or want to save? And I'm like, I mean, I've been there. It's a form of comfort um, because if I feel needed, I don't feel like I'm going to be thrown away. Um, You know, you can be in a relationship where you help your partner, but like you don't need to do that to be loved. So beautiful message to end on. Thank you so much for sharing. I know this will help a lot of people because I get so many messages from people who are, you know, directly or indirectly affected by addiction and mental health and all of that. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate you. And it was refreshing to share too. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.